0: My name is William Minard, and this is The American Immigrant, the podcast about immigration in America. My guest today is Aviva Chomsky. She is professor of history and the coordinator of Latin American studies at Salem State University. She's the author of several books and has re- recently written an article in The Nation magazine entitled, America Wanted to Keep Immigrants Out Long Before Donald Trump Was Ever Born. And yes, if you were wondering, she's also the daughter of MIT professor and political commentator Noam Chomsky. Ms. Chomsky, thank you for joining me today.
1: Oh, thanks for inviting me to speak with you.
0: Okay, so Ms. Chomsky, before I delve into the topics uh, of your article, I hoped you could tell our listeners um, about your own family's uh, immigration to the United States, at least uh, to the extent that you know it. Um, From what I understand, your grandparents were Eastern European Jews that came to America in the early 20th century. Uh, What what do you kind of know about that?
1: Um... Well, most of what I um, what you said is true. That that's exactly who they were and and when they came. Um, but mostly, what I know about it, I think, is what I know about the context. That is, um, most of them were were quite young when they came, and I didn't know my great grandparents to like really hear family stories about about their immigration sagas. Um, but certainly, they were part of a large movement of. Um, Southern and Eastern European immigrants in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And um, I think about their stories in in two contexts uh, that I I think about a lot when I think about contemporary immigration, too. Um, One of those contexts is that they came at a time when basically nobody except Europeans was allowed to immigrate into the United States. So it's true that European immigrants were mostly fleeing very um, terrible situations, uh, poverty, lack of opportunity in their own countries, and that most of them encountered very dire situations when they came to the United States. You know, bad jobs, bad housing, little protection by the law. But on the other hand, we also have to keep in mind that this was a period when only Europeans were basically allowed to immigrate and become citizens of the United States. So they were both um, oppressed and privileged at the same time, as were those whole several generations of European immigrants who came here.
0: So putting your family's immigration into, into the context uh, of the time, so what you're saying is that they came in at a point when only people who were like them could come to the United States. Basically, it was, it was restricted to almost any people from anywhere else in the world.
1: Well, um, let me just give even a little bit more background, because up until the Civil War, there were no restrictions on immigration into the United States. Quite the contrary. Um, Immigration was welcomed. It was fomented. It was encouraged. Um, If you look all the way back to the Declaration of Independence and read about the crimes of King George that led the colonists to rise up and demand independence, One of them was that the king was trying to restrict immigration um, and to put limits on naturalization. That is, the colonists were very eager to have more immigrants coming into the country. And the reason was that citizenship rights Being considered a person and a member of the colony or of the country after independence was restricted by race. So immigrants were essentially legally defined as white people who were coming in. The reason the colonists wanted more immigrants is that they were trying to increase the population of white people. And um, remember that we're talking about immigrants in a land where the People who were native to the land could not be part of the country. Um, American Indians were not allowed citizenship in the United States until 1924. So, So immigration was conceived of and promoted as a racial whitening project for the colony and then for the country until the Civil War. And the reason that immigration could be conceived this way is that all of the people who were either already in the country or who were coming into the country who were not white were legally excluded from citizenship. Citizenship was restricted to white people. And immigrants were those defined as those people who were eligible for citizenship. So, for example, um, the trade in enslaved Africans continued after independence, Um, but... But they were not considered immigrants, because they were not eligible for citizenship. They were brought in under very different circumstances. Um, After the Civil War, the relationship between immigrant and citizen changes, um, the nature of citizenship changes, because the 14th Amendment in 1868 creates citizenship by birth. Now this means that citizenship can no longer be restricted on the basis of race, because anybody who is born in the country, except Native Americans who are excluded from the 14th Amendment, um, is automatically a citizen by birth. And this is when Congress starts putting restrictions on immigration, because now anyone who comes into the country, even if they're legally restricted from citizenship on the basis of race, like the Chinese, for example, who in the late 19th century were entering the country in large numbers, but eligible for citizenship on the basis of birth. So there's this big contradiction in U.S. law, and that's what leads to the immigration restrictions that start almost immediately after citizenship by birth is created, and this idea that immigration might be something dangerous to the racial dominance of whites in the country, because now anybody who comes in, even if they're not legally eligible to be an immigrant, like the Chinese, could still have a child who's then going to gain citizenship by birth. Right. So... So this is when uh, immigration starts being drastically restricted. It's progressively restricted until 1917, when the Asiatic Barred Zone, which includes about half of the world's population, is is declared. Nobody from that entire half of the world's population is allowed to immigrate because they're racially ineligible to citizenship. Um, And then after that begin even restrictions on European immigration which um, are implemented in 1921 and 1924. So we, ha- we have these two sort of pieces, how Europeans were treated and how Asians were treated. There's yet a third piece to the puzzle, which is how Mexicans were treated. Mexicans are treated differently because their labor is so necessary, especially even more so after Asian restrictions are put in. Um, and especially in the Southwest and increasingly in the Midwest in the late 19th, early 20th centuries. So, um, so Mexican, uh, under U.S. law, Mexicans are treated differently. Um, there's no restrictions put on Mexican immigration, but Mexicans are deportable. That is, they're invited in, they're recruited, they're brought into work, but they're not considered immigrants. They're considered deportables so that they, um, can repeatedly be expelled from the country.
0: Right. So, we so have actually, this, this three I, part system. If I could, I, I want to ask you something directly about that, which you, which you mentioned in your article. Um, <clears throat> during this presidential race, we've heard a lot about what's been called securing the border, um, uh-huh. and and you've written about and you've just been talking about how the United States has has long embraced. Mexicans coming across the border because we wanted the labor, while at the same time denying Mexicans access to citizenship, uh, right. which would threaten the notion of, of a white United States. You also wrote that when the U.S. started to more strictly police the border in the 1960s and, and, and increasingly through the 1980s and beyond, um, quote, paradoxically enough, this only increased the undocumented population population because those who made it across the border were increasingly afraid to leave for fear that they wouldn't make it back the next year. So given that, what should our, our border policy be? How do we make this a, a, a better policy than it is now?
1: Um, well, it's true that the undocumented population has grown dramatically um, since in tandem with um, attempts to so-called secure the border, and that many studies have shown us how, in fact, those so-called attempts to secure the border have actually increased the number of undocumented people in the country. Um, so, you know, what would be a good border policy depends on what our goals are, and um, and uh, and I think we need to think really deeply about what our goals are. Like, certainly, I would say we should not be a country made up of various statuses where some people have rights and some people don't have rights. Um, but there's different ways we could think about challenging that um, inequality of status that we have created through our laws in our country. The, the Trump way of, of trying to get rid of that inequality of status is just to get rid of all the people who are denied status. Another way of looking at that problem would be to say, immigrant rights are human rights and everybody has rights and we should not attribute a certain arbitrary status to a group of people that denies them rights. Um, So that's one way I would look at that question. Um, So what is the goal of our border policy? Is it um, to prevent people from coming into the United States? Why exactly do we want to prevent people from coming into the United States? Um, It's not because they won't have status when they're in the United States, because there's a really easy solution to that, which is to give them status um, to treat them as legal human beings when they're in the United States. I mean, people often ask if I'm pro-immigration. I'm not really pro or anti-immigration immigration per se, that is, I don't have an opinion about whether other people should move. That's up to them and their families, not to me, to decide whether other people should move. I might have an opinion about whether my family moves, but not about other people. I kind of feel about immigration the way I feel about about gay marriage. Um, Like, why would I have an opinion about what somebody else does?
0: in in some sense, I I guess from from having read what you've written, I, I almost get the feeling, but obviously correct me if I'm wrong, that that you in some sense don't want a border, at least as we uh, it, it, as we have it now. It, it, meaning that that you you talk about the times when when people would kind of the Mexican border in particular was just fluid. I mean, people came in and out and in and out and and it and nothing really stopped that do you think we need to get closer to something like that
1: well i mean you know i said i'm i'm neither for nor against immigration per se i just feel like like um it's not up to me to decide what other people should do on the other hand i also understand that just as the immigration of my grandparents was caused by um horrific human suffering that was going on in the places that they migrated from that drove them out, most of today's migration is also driven by horrific situations. That is, most migrants would not would prefer to stay home. They leave because they can't survive at home. Um, and this I'm against. That is, I don't think we should implement policies that make people suffer and uh, and live in um, horrific and untenable situations. And I think if we look at what is driving migration from Mexico and Central America to the United States, it's precisely U.S. policies that are causing um, unbelievable suffering in their countries. So... I think we should change those policies not because I personally don't want people to migrate, but I personally don't want people to be put in the position where they have no choice except to migrate. And that's exactly what our policies are doing. And I'm not talking so much about our border policies here, but I'm talking about our larger economic policies. Um,
0: well, let me let me ask you about that if I can. In, in, a, in, sure. a, in a 2014 article um, also, also published in The Nation, uh, which was call, uh, entitled, We're Having the Wrong Debate About Undocumented Children, um, you point to the rise uh, in people from Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala uh, crossing the border into the United States. Um, you point to, uh, specifically, to American actions that led to this influx of people. Uh, with respect to Honduras, you write that, quote, the refugee flood from Honduras didn't begin until the United States supported a military coup against that country's elected leftist president in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2014, uh, Hillary Clinton publicly discussed her role in that coup, saying that she helped prevent Honduras' democratically elected president, Manuel Zelaya, from returning to office. Does that concern you as, as we approach election day?
1: That absolutely concerns me as we approach election day, um, and you know I know a lot of people who just who who are horrified by Trump. Well, I'm horrified by Trump too. Um, but but one thing that horrifies them and me about Trump is his unpredictability. Um, on the other hand, if you look at Hillary, uh, we see more predictability. And mu- much of that predictability, especially with respect to foreign policy, is that we can predict that she's going to be doing really terrible things because we know what her track record is and we know what her goals are, we know what her policies are. Um, and those are precisely the militaristic and interventionist policies that have caused People to flee from Central America and also people to flee from the Middle East. That is, the the migrant and refugee crises that the world is seeing today are a direct result of U.S. interventionism, much of it propagated by Hillary Clinton. So the fact that she's predictable isn't really a good thing.
0: Uh, and that actually brings me to a broader issue. Uh, we have humanitarian crises all around the world that have involved U.S. intervention or a lack thereof. Uh, I mean, we have a situation in Iraq where uh, we definitely intervened, but a situation in Syria where we've kind of intervened, but the president has restrained from a full-scale invasion. Um, These humanitarian crises have led to refugee crises. So I guess my question is, is it the responsibility of this country to ensure that people in this world can live in at least relative safety uh, and, and free from fear of imminent death?
1: Um, well, I think you're a little too easy on um, Obama and um, prior U.S. administrations in terms of our intervention in Syria, because I would say it's true that we haven't... Um, conducted a full-scale ground invasion of Syria, but I would say that U.S. intervention is deeply tied up with both the origins of today's crisis in Syria and the everyday, day-by-day manifestations of what's happening in Syria, Um, both in terms of covert action, trying to um, promote regime change in Syria, and in terms of direct military intervention, even if it's not through ground troops, um, through bombing, um, you know, for the people on the ground who are being bombed, um, whether it's being done from the air or from the ground, is, isn't the most relevant factor. It's whether their towns and their homes and their lives are being destroyed by American weapons. And of course, our, our weapons sales to the Middle East and our Support of Saudi Arabia, and I mean I could go on and on. But um, you know, I would say we can attack this attack figuratively, this problem from two sides. One is by looking at the causes of that are that are making people flee their countries, and saying, okay, how did the United States play a role? in creating these horrible situations. Um, and that's one place where we need to look for very profound changes in our foreign policies, not to create those situations. Um, the second way we can look at it is, okay, this situation is already happening. What kind of responsibility do we have to people who are facing imminent death, regardless of what the causes are? Um, and I think in, in both cases, um, there are humanitarian and human rights considerations that should be transcendent. Um, so that, yes, even if the United States were not the cause of the problem in Syria, which is a, a really big even because the United States played an enormous role in creating the problems in Syria, um, and that's where we need to begin in terms of changing our policies, but even if this were happening somewhere else where the United States were not directly implicated um there's still a humanitarian and human rights obligation towards the people who are forced to flee their homes.
0: I, I want to quickly move on to one final topic. Um, for the past five years, Donald Trump has, has tried to delegitimize the president um, by falsely claiming that he, that he wasn't born in the United States. You wrote that Donald Trump has made, quote, an open appeal to white fears of a future non-white majority. And that he supports immigration policies aimed at a racial whitening. And that the policies he's promoting are, in an eerie way, illogical continuations of centuries of policymaking that sought to create a country of white people. Um, um, why do you think so many people have publicly latched on to Trump's racism and xenophobia?
1: That significant portions of the United States population are extremely um, uh, alienated from the political system. Um, they're extremely cynical about uh, the behavior of our elected leaders. They know that the government is basically like a billionaire's club run by and for the billionaires. Um, and that that their interests are not taken into account. They've seen the transformation of the U.S. economy in the past 50 years that has undermined their standard of living and their hopes for their future and their children's future, and they know that the U.S. political class is, is implementing these policies that treat them basically as cannon fodder to be sent abroad and die in wars to protect Billionaires' profits, so it's not surprising that they're that they're um, feeling uh, marginalized and excluded and unrepresented in our political system. Um, but I also think that um, that they're given very few tools. That there's very few tools available to them for really understanding how this system works, and it's a lot. Uh, when you hear somebody saying, "I can explain the the, the cause of your problem it's those immigrants well that 's what they see um, that uh, that a lot of immigrants are coming into the country and coincidentally they are uh, losing their ability to provide for themselves and their family. so without a, a deeper analysis of how the system is working and what's happening, um, i don 't think it's that surprising. Um, but really, I don't think that most of the people supporting Trump, that what's motivating them is racism. I think that what's motivating them is this utter cynicism about the way they have been misused by the political and economic elites of the country.
0: In, in, in some sense, immigration is just being exploited by Trump, by other politicians, as, as a way to to kind of cover up what's been going on what the real cause has been all along and that in in a way the country would be less xenophobic if more people were included as part of the economy or or, or the economic system changed
1: absolutely absolutely and I mean I think here's when Hillary Clinton's cynicism is just so, dangerous on so many fronts because, first of all, these draconian immigration policies that we've been talking about, they were basically the, the result of her husband, Bill Clinton. Um, and um, it's not like she's ever disassociated herself from or disavowed the policies that her husband implemented. Um, so, Hillary Clinton uh, is, is almost playing the same game as Trump, I feel, with respect to immigrants. Um, just like the opposite side of the coin. So Hillary Clinton will get up and you know, show some crocodile tears and say, oh, I love immigrants. Immigrants are so oppressed. Um, This just feeds into what Trump is saying. Immigrants are being coddled while the Americans are being ignored. Um, But Hillary Clinton's policies are not pro-immigrant. Hillary Clinton's policies, and she said it straight out, like, those children, we have to keep deporting them. They shouldn't think just because they come here they should be allowed to stay. Um, So she hasn't proposed anything that would fundamentally make our immigration system
0: When did she make that? comment
1: um that was just a few months ago sometime over the summer i believe that she was interviewed and and made it um on on tv um but at the same time she's like staging all of these things like with this with the little girl who was saying she was afraid of her mother being deported and hillary says, oh don't worry about your mother you leave that to me well leave that to me what so i can deport your mother
0: (laughs) so uh, i guess to to kind of um, sum up here. What, what? Regardless of who wins here uh, in in November, I mean, it, it seems unlikely that Obama will be able to do anything with respect to real change in immigration um, policies in the next few months. So on January twenty first, w- what what needs to happen?
1: Um, you mean what do I think will happen, or what should happen? What should Which happen? What I wish would happen?
0: What do you wish would happen?
1: Uh, I wish Bernie Sanders could have been elected (laughs) president. Um, As a historian, I always hesitate to predict the future because, you know, Obama was working on his plan for DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. I had no idea that was in the works. Many immigrant rights activists and scholars had no idea that was in the works. You know, if we weren't in Obama's close circle, we didn't know that was in the works. Um, so it was a total surprise. I couldn't have predicted that was going to happen. Um, you know, right now, I do not see either candidate bringing about major changes in our immigration policy. But they could both surprise me.
0: Okay. Well, I guess we'll, we'll have to leave it there. Once again, uh, Aviva Chomsky is Professor of History and the Coordinator of Latin American Studies at Salem State University and the author of a recent article in The Nation magazine entitled America Wanted to Keep Immigrants Out Long Before Donald Trump Was Ever Born. Ms. Miss, Miss Chomsky, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, it's been a
1: pleasure. Thanks for letting
0: me speak with you. My name is William Menard and this is The American Immigrant.